Um, but we are in a series today called The Book of James. We've been in this series for going on now four weeks. And uh, if you know anything about the book of James, it's written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. And how many know that had to be some pressure to be the half-brother of Jesus? But uh, he is now a pastor, and he is writing a book to the churches. And it's only five chapters. Come on, how many like five-chapter type of books right there? That's my kind of book right there, five-chapter books. And so we're going through every chapter over the course of... Uh, five weeks, and so today we're in week four, and, and if you missed any of these messages, you can go on our app. We have an app. If you go and type in OSC Connect in your app store, and download our app and, and check out the previous messages or go online. Um, but today we are talking about fighting, about wars and conflict. How many of you had a fight this week? Come on, let's just be honest in church. How many had a fight this week? All right, okay. How many had a fight today? Raise your, yeah, all right. I saw a husband raise his hand over here, and a wife was over here. She was raising, okay, so... We're talking about conflict, talking about fighting. Fighting is inevitable. If you have relationships, you're going to have fighting. And, and so Pastor James is going to give us some incredible wisdom when it comes to how do we fight right, how do we fight well, and really what is the thing that we really should be fighting. And so James chapter 4 is where we're going to begin. If you got some notes, wave them at me just so I can see them. Yeah, okay, so we are a note-taking church. Encourage you to participate with us. Uh, you're not at the movie theaters. We'd love for you to participate. So you can shout back. You can say, preach it. Let's get it. Let's go. You can just stand up and go, mm-hmm. You can do whatever you want. So I just need some participation, okay? Can I get an amen? amen. Okay, all right. Just need some participation, all right? You're not at a funeral. Okay. And so uh, James chapter 4, verse 1 is where we're going to begin. Let's go there and start our time today. What causes fights? That's a good question. <laughs> all right. What causes fights and quarrels among you? So that's going to be the big question we're going to answer today. Don't they come from your desires that, all right, everybody read these three words with me, that battle within you. You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. So that's the question we're going to ask today. Why do we fight? All right, so let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for this time that we have uh, to come and, and to just dive into your word. We ask, God, that you would give our, our hearts um, illumination to hear your word. I thank you that your word is alive and active and that it is piercing to our hearts and motives and it's changing us and transforming us, God. Lord, let us hear what you have to speak to us today and let us obey the things that you want us to. God, we thank you today for all that you're doing and we thank you for air conditioning in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Yeah, you better give an amen. All right. I got any Rocky fans in the house? Any Rocky fans? Anybody like, like the movie Rocky? Rocky? I don't know how many Rockies they're going to do. I think there's 37 of them or something right now. I mean, Rocky, Rocky cannot die. I mean, no, Rocky just doesn't die. I mean, he's going to be in a wheelchair beating somebody. I mean, it's going to be Rocky at the, at the senior citizen's home. I mean, it's going to be, we got that. My favorite Rocky, I don't know what your favorite Rocky is. My favorite Rocky is Rocky IV. Rocky IV when he fights the Russian dude. Anybody know when he fights Drago? Come on, how many you know that's the best one? Hands down, I don't know, Mr. T's pretty good too. But anyways... Drago one is hands down, you know, if you know the story, if you haven't, I'm just going to go ahead and give it to you because Rocky always wins. So, I mean, that's just how it goes. But at the beginning, Drago fights Apollo Creed. We know Rocky's, you know, partner in crime and in the ring kills Apollo Creed, kills him. So, of course, Rocky comes out of retirement. I'm going to, you know, take him out. And so he goes to Russia, flies to Russia. And Apollo Creed's got all these, like, fancy, you know, equipments. I mean, he's like treadmilling, you know, treadmilling. <laughs> 
Who treadmills anyways? I mean, as he's hitting things, he's got all these, all these things attached to his bodies and computers, figuring out how much body weight he has and how strong his punches are. And then you got Rocky. Rocky got a barn. Rocky got a barn and a tire. Rock, by the way, Rocky made CrossFit what it is way before CrossFit was even popular. I mean, he got blue jeans and a leather jacket, and he's running in the, in the snow, flipping tires and doing sit-ups from the balcony of the barn. I mean, this is, come on, that's a man right there. He got a beard. I mean, you just know, you're just rooting for him. So that's one of my favorite ones, of course. If you watch it, he wins. Um, spoiler alert. But one of my newer favorite ones, though, is actually the latest one that just came out, which is Creed. Anybody saw Creed? Come on, that was a good one, huh? So if you don't know the story of Creed, let me just kind of give it to you. I won't, I won't give the spoiler alert on this one, but Creed is, um, is uh, Apollo Creed had a son. And uh, his son never knew his dad because he died in the ring before his son ever got to meet him. And so his name's Adonis. And Adonis, you know, finds out that Apollo's his dad. And, and Adonis is always, of course, getting into fights. Why? Because fighting's in his blood. It's what his dad did and it's what he loves to do. And so he desires to, to want to be a boxer and to want to be a great one. So who's he going to go find to find his mentor and coach? Rocky, of course. You got to go find Rocky. And so he goes and he tracks Rocky down. And Rocky's, you know, in retirement, kind of trying to lay low. And if you know the story, he goes in, eventually begs him to train him. And, and, and Rocky finally agrees to training him to, uh, to be an incredible boxer. So the, the part, though, that I love the most and which I think honestly plays into what we're talking about today is the part where uh, Rocky is standing in the gym and he's standing with Adonis and he has Adonis come to him and they're looking in front of a mirror and he has this kind of moment, man-to-man moment with Adonis and, and this is what he says, I, I, I'm debating on giving you my Rocky impression. Yo, Adrian. No, I'm sorry. So this is what he said. I had to write it down. This is what he says. See this guy? No, I can't even do it. I can't even. Can't even. Can't. He says, see this guy here? That's the toughest opponent you're ever going to face. He says, I believe that is true in the ring, and I believe that is true in life. He tells Adonis as he's looking in the mirror, listen, you see that guy? That guy's going to be the toughest guy you're ever going to fight. It's true in the ring, and it's true in life. And, and, and and what Rocky didn't know, he's preaching. He's telling the exact same thing that James just told us. You know what, you fighting, you got all these quarrels and you got all this stuff, you know what the real issue is? There's a battle within. So today, the title of today's message is The Battle Within. Because I think as, as your pastor, I, I can't just train you on how to fight people if that's not really the real fight. The real fight that you're actually having is within. And so James is going to then progressively give us the three things that we need to always be watching out for and the three things that you and I will constantly battle in life. So if you're taking some notes, write these down. Number one, self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. Self-centeredness says this. It says, it's about me, not you. That's what self-centeredness says. It's about me, it's not you. How many in here have pet peeves? Anybody got pet peeves? What you, just shout out real quick, a couple, couple pet peeves. What, what's a pet peeve of yours? Anybody? What is it? Telling me how to drive. <laughs> you're not talking about your wife, are you? <laughs> no, you're talking about, talking about somebody else, your kids. Okay, all right. Anybody else? Any other pet peeves that won't get you in trouble? Uh, 
How about loud eaters? Got any loud eaters as a pet peeve? I'll tell you one of mine, one of my big ones. I'm, I'm, I grew up in Texas, city of Houston, grew up in Dallas, and then I came to Louisiana, and my, my biggest pet peeve is slow drivers. And then I moved to Jennings. Nobody got a rush to go anywhere in Jennings. Ain't nothing. I mean, I'm, I'm swerving and I'm all over the place. I mean, it's a big pet peeve of mine. I got a lot of other pet peeves, of, co- of course, and some OCD things that I have. I like things in a certain way, and I got some of those pet peeves. But you know the common denominator in all of my pet peeves is that they inconvenience and bother me. That's why I don't like it, because it bothers me. And all of us have pet peeves in our lives. And James is telling us, you know why a lot of the fight that you have, a lot of the battle within is because you want what you want, and when you don't get it, you're mad. Come on, isn't that really how it goes? I want what I want. I want to get it. And if I don't get it, then I am upset or I'm mad or I'm going to make something, uh, you know, I'm going to make it bad in your your life. It says, you know, you don't get what you want, you're going to kill if you covet. And so this is what James is telling us is that we have a problem with us. Now, everybody in, here, everybody in here really, really loves somebody. You know who that person is? You. Nobody wakes up in the morning as in love with you as you. <laughs> Nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks about you as much as you do. You absolutely love yourselves. Oh, you don't believe me, do you? Okay. So if you take a photo, you're in a group photo, and, 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 and your friend posts that photo on Facebook and they tag you, who's the first person you're looking for? <laughs> who? You, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and girls, by the way, you know, if you don't look good, that photo is crap. <laughs> Ain't that right? I mean, everybody else could look good. You text your girlfriend, take that photo down. <laughs> this is an awesome photo. No, I look terrible. Why? Because it's all about you. We like me. I love me. And, and here's the thing. We were created, actually, to live for something and someone beyond ourselves But the sin default of our heart always wants to bring us back to me. Everything comes back to me. I have a I problem. I want this. I need this. I have to have. And if actually, if you look at the word pride, and if you look at the word sin, guess what's in the middle of both of them? I. It's an I problem. It's all over our culture. We see it everywhere. And our culture feeds into that to tell you, you need what you want. Do what you want. Do what makes you feel good. Even if that means hurting other people, you get what you want. And so self-centeredness is this this battle within that says it's about me, it's not about you. You want to see some fights? Put three kids in the backseat of your car and go on a long car ride. (laughs) Jesus help us. Come on, right? And, And here's the, don't give them an iPad, don't give them any electronics. Just put, put two snacks in two hands and one not in one. World War III just broke out. You're in my space. Stop touching me. Get off of this. He won't give me that. What? It's all me, 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 I, I, I. And, that, and, and, and for us, even as parents, we get upset because they're bothering me. <laughs> so it's just like a lot of selfishness all up in this one vehicle. We're just asking for things. Because it's me. We like me. I want a spouse that makes me happy. I want kids that obey my rules. I want traffic to go my way. I want the weather to be suitable to what I want. Right? Everything in life, we really like it when it's around me. It's catered 
to me. So we take Jesus' prayer, instead of saying, your kingdom come and your will be done, we say, my kingdom come and my will be done. But Max Lucado, who is a, a famous Christian author, wrote this, and, and you might want to snap a picture of this. This is a really good quote. Remind yourself this, maybe even write this somewhere where you can see it all the time. And he says this, God does not exist to make a big deal out of us. We exist to make a big deal out of him. Now watch this, follow along with me. It's not about, everybody say it out loud. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about, let's try that one more time because y'all didn't really want to get into that because it's all about you. Okay, so it's not about, it's not about, it's all about him. And I'm gonna tell you right now, your life will be miserable until you understand this. Your marriage will be miserable until you understand this. Your parenting will be miserable until you understand this. When you realize it's not about you. Most counseling, when I sit down with people, that's the biggest thing we address. The reason y'all are having fights is because you think it's all about you, and you think it's all about you, and you use is not working. And so we see this in Max Lucado's uh, quote, that God does not exist to make a big deal out of us. God's not just there just for you. God is doing things in your life so you would make a big deal out of him. It is all about him. Our Savior's church is all about him, by the way. If you come here today because you think it's all about you, you're going to be disappointed. Because here's the deal. Comfortable churches create lazy Christians. So if you came here for your own comfort, for what I want and where I want to park and the coffee that I want and the seat that I want to sit in, you're going to be miserable here because your seat will always be taken here. And that's just the way that it goes because as a church, it's not about me. It's not about us. We, we, we exist because Jesus came from heaven, the best place ever, and came onto this earth and lived a life amongst us, died a death he shouldn't have died because he lived by the motto, it's not about me. And so us as a church live by the same model, it's not about us. It's not about our Savior's church. It's not about what we do. It's about the people that God has called us to reach. That's why we plant multiple campuses. We have a campus in Eunice and Crowley. Why? It would have been so much easier just to build Jennings. But no, it's not about us. We got people in those areas that need Jesus. And listen to me. As long as heaven and hell are realities, it can't be about us. Reaching people can never be optional. It's always got to be about reaching people. How many of you know somebody in your life right now that needs Jesus? Raise your hand. Okay, put your hand down. You better make sure that it's not about you because you'll never reach them. If it's always about you, you'll never reach people beyond you. And I'm here today to tell you, God's at something bigger and better than just you. He wants you to live for something and someone greater than you. So self-centeredness is something we all deal with. Here's your number two. Self-sufficiency, self-sufficiency, it, it says this, I don't need you. So if self-centered, it says it's all about me, not about you, and self-sufficiency says I don't need you, which is really in turn what we're saying to God is we're saying, God, I, I, I think I do a better job at ruling my life than you do. Well, James chapter four, verse two now speaks to this. This is what he says. He says, you do not have because you do not what? You don't ask God. 
So you're, you're, you're complaining about what you're not having, but you're trying to find it in all these other places because you feel like you can figure it out, but you're getting to a place where you realize, I, can't, I don't have what I, what I think I need. And God's saying, you don't have what you think you need because you don't ask me. And you're not asking me because you think you can provide it for yourself. And so we're self-sufficient. We say, God, I don't, I don't, I don't need you. How I many you know when, you're, when your kids are fighting you at the dinner table or when they're fighting you at bedtime, they're really not fighting you just because of those things. This is what they're really saying. You won't rule me. That's what they're saying, right? You won't rule me. You're not going to tell me what to do. Any of your kids ever said that to you? Once. <laughs> you're not going to tell me what to do. That's what James is actually saying. James is saying, hey, listen, you're, you're kind of coming to me and saying, you're not asking me anything. So you're, in a sense, telling me, you're not going to tell me what to do. You're not going to tell me what I need. Your pride is like a prison because it locks you in and locks God and others out. So pride that says, I don't need you. I got this. I can handle this on my own. I don't need anybody. It locks you into your own isolated cell and then it locks God out and it locks other people out that can help you. And so let me, let me show you how this plays out in Psalms chapter 10, verse 4. This is what David said. In his what? In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. So in his pride, he's, we're not seeking God. In all his thoughts, now watch this. There is what? No room for God. No room for God. Why, why is that the case? Because when you're full of yourself, you can't be full of the Spirit. If I'm full of me, I can't be full of God. That's why John said, less of me and more of you. Because when I'm full of me, nobody else can get in. But with less of me, more of you can come in. And so self-sufficiency is I don't need you. I got this alone. And, and this scripture says, in his pride, we're not seeking him and we have no room for God. And honestly, when we get that way, let me tell you what, what is the epic of pride, uh, how you know that you have pride, is you're constantly worried and constantly anxious, and you're constantly fearful. You know how I know that's pride? Because you're not trusting God. You're thinking that you can fix it, that you can do something about it. God, I got this. And so you're always worried and always anxious because the truth is, you don't. You don't really got it. But we're self-sufficient, God. I, I, and, and you say, well, I don't, I don't say that. I, I wouldn't say that. But we live it. And so James actually goes a little bit further. And this is what he says in verse 6. He says, therefore, he says, God resists the proud. Man, come on. How many know that's the one thing you don't want resisting you? God resists the proud. Resist means to aggressively set himself against them. This is what it means. God opposes, God fights, God resists, and God cannot bless the proud. Why? Well, let's go back to verse 3. Verse 3 gives us the answer. Because when you ask, so before he says, you're not having what you want because you're not asking me. You're not praying, you're not spending time with me, you're not asking. Now he's going to go, okay, now you're asking, but here's the problem. You're not going to get what you need. You're not going to receive it because you ask with what? With the wrong motives. So now it's, okay, now you're coming to me for a 911 situation and you're wanting me to show up and you're wanting me to answer your prayers, but they're wrong motives. So you're not going to receive it because that you may spend what you get on who? On you. 
Any of you have little small kids, uh, you know, when they're learning how to walk and they're crawling around everywhere and they're just always crawling everywhere? And, and you remember the day when they start uh, realizing that there's cabinets? Y'all remember those days? So what do we do? We go get those child lock proof, you know, things where it's like really like adult proof. Nobody can open the cabinets. Get out. So you're trying to do it. And so until you can get those adult proof locks on there, you stand in front of that cabinet and you say, no, 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 stop. Especially the one that's got all the chemicals behind it. Because they just looking like, that's, that's green Kool-Aid. I, I love me some green Kool-Aid. And, and you're putting all of your weight in front of that door between you and them, and you're saying, no, 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 no. Why? Because you love them so much. If you let them, you, you would let them have something that could kill them. And the same is with God, I think, in a lot of times. We're asking God for something, and God's going, no, 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 no. And we're getting mad at God, not realizing that he's actually protecting us. God, I want this man. I want this man. I want this man. He's like, no, 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 baby, no, 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 no. Like, oh, man, he's, he melts my heart. I mean, he's awesome. He's like, you don't know. You don't know. That's some poison. <laughs> Bust out in song. <laughs> Get the dance, too. Anyway, so. Yeah, but in that, God, give me this job, give me this job, and it just doesn't work, and then we get mad at God, not realizing that God's actually saving you. Give me this, give me that, give me this, and so, you know, our prayer needs to be, God, if this is your will, if this is what you want, God, I'm asking for this. If it's not, shut the door. Close the door. Y'all with me here? And so some of you, God is resisting you because of pride, because you don't want to have anything to do with him. Sometimes God is resisting you because he's actually loving you. So he says, you ask when you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you can spend on your own pleasures. And so self-sufficiency says, I don't need you, God. But can I also tell you what it also says? I don't need you, husband. I don't need you, friend. I don't need you, church community, spiritual family. I don't need you. And Paul spoke very directly to this when he said it. Look, look at this verse for me in 1 Corinthians. He says this. If all were a single member, where, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, now watch, here we go. Ready, self-sufficiency. I have, I don't need you. So he says, listen, listen, if you're, part, if you're the eye, you can't say the hand, I don't need you. And then, nor again, if you're the head to the feet, you can't say, I don't need you. How foolish would that be for you to constantly go around to the hand? You need the hand. Head, you need the feet. And in this church, we need one another. That's why we call this a spiritual family, because we don't function with just one person. We need everybody. Everybody's got to play their part. Everybody's got to play their role. Pastor Bob, Miss Tracy have a role. I have a role. Each of you have a role. We got to play our roles, and we can't look at one another and go, I don't need you, because we do need each other. How many are thankful today for somebody in your life that you thought you didn't need, but now you realize you really did need them, and now you are where you are today because they're in your life? Anybody got some people like that? Come on, thank, thank God for the gift of those people. Thank God for the gift of those people. And so don't be, self, and listen, that's going to be a battle within that you constantly, some, if you're new here, listen, settle in, enjoy yourself, you know, let God speak to you for a little while. But if you've been here for a little while, you need the body. Get in. You need us. We need you. So let's not be self-sufficient and go, I don't need that. I, I mean, I'm going to go. I'm going to go on Sundays, and then I'm going to just do my own thing. No, no, no. Listen, 
You will, but you'll only experience a little bit of what God has for you. There's so much more. So much more. All right, number three, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness says, I'm better than you. So James chapter four now, James is going to speak to our tongues, which we talked a lot about last week. So I'm not going to rehash a lot of what last week was. You can go back and listen to that message. But I'm going to speak a little bit to where he goes in this. He says, don't speak evil against each other. Dear brothers and sisters, if you criticize and you judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. Here's your job. You want to know what your job description is? Here's your one job description is to obey the law. Hey, what's the law, by the way? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Hey, hey you want to be worried about something? Worry about yourself. Loving God and loving people. Your job's not to judge. He says, God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Come on, how many of you feel like if there's any role that we should play for God, it's judge? I feel like I need, anybody feel like he's a little late to the bench? Like I need to, I need to step up in there because he's a little late to ruling his verdicts. Not realizing that God's got a totally different verdict than we do, and that's not your job. Your job's to love God, to love people. And the more you love God, the more you'll love people. The less you love God, listen to me, the more self-righteous you'll get, and the more you'll begin to think, I'm better than you. This I'm better than you mentality plays out in criticalness, harshness, judgment. We get critical of people. Because here's why we, we, we're that way. Because we think we are where we are today because of us. So we, we tell people, well, you just need to get your act together. You just need to do this and you need to do that and you need to stop doing that. You know, it's so easy for me. As if we are where we are because of ourselves. How many of you know we are where we are because of the grace of God? Because, man, God's given us chance after chance after chance. Because God's given us forgiveness after forgiveness after forgiveness because he's loved us when we we're least loving. Well, you say, well, I don't think I'm self-righteous. All right? So let's ask one question here. Are you more concerned about the sins of other people around you or your own? If you're more concerned about everybody else's sins, pointing out everybody else's sins and, than your own, then you are self-righteous. And come on, I, listen, I'm preaching to myself in this. Amen. Where I can, I, no, you don't have to amen that one. <laughs> Keep that one down. You can amen that one. My wife would amen with you. <laughs> but come on, let's be honest. I mean, we've all been there. Harsh, critical, I'm better than you. We wouldn't say that. Maybe we would. But in our attitude, in the way that we say things, we're, we're just, we're that way. Our virtues look huge and our flaws look small. Their virtues look small and their flaws look huge. We should be amazed at how God has treated us so generously and so graciously. And let me tell you how pride works. Pride diminishes your capacity to apologize, to admit, and to acknowledge. This is what pride does. Self-righteous pride, by the way apologize. So we, we know, we know we said something we shouldn't have said. We know we did something we shouldn't have done. And our wife is there in the kitchen and you know, I just need to go in there and say, Hey baby, listen, I just need to tell you something. I'm, I'm, I'm so hungry. 
Um, so, no, you know, I need to say I'm sorry, but what, why, why can't you? Pride. Because I can't let somebody know that I'm not as good as they think I am, even though they already know you're not as good as you think you are. So you can't apologize. You can't admit. So you can't admit weakness. You can't admit that your marriage is struggling. You can't admit that you're having depression or that you're worried or anxious or you can't admit any of those things because you've got to portray to everybody that everything's okay. So self-righteous pride makes me put up on my high horse and I can't admit, and I can't acknowledge, can't acknowledge that I need you because then that'll make me look weak. I can't make you think I'm weak. So I got to stay here. And pride is the prison. Locks you in and locks God and others out. That's what self-righteousness does. And, and, and so I, I want to encourage you to begin to ask God, are these areas in my life that I'm really struggling through? The Apostle Paul, who was one of the, you know, I mean, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, just powerful man of God, uh, his progression of how he saw himself is amazing. You know, as we get saved, when we're saved, most of us realize, man, I'm, I'm pretty scum. I, I'm terrible. I don't deserve this. And we kind of start there like, I'm broken. I need Jesus. And then as we grow in our faith, we kind of feel more better about, more better, more, I don't know that English or not, but let's just go with more better. <laughs> about ourselves. <laughs> That's the soul in me. And so I want, you to, I want you to see this. Watch this progression, okay? Let me just show you. So he starts off when he first got saved and he first started really churches. He said this, I am the least of the apostles. So, hey, listen, out of all the guys that are apostles, man, I'm, I'm really the least. And that's how he begins. Now watch this, though. As years progress and he grows in his faith and his love for God, watch the next one. He says this, I am the very least of all the saints. Wow, he just went down. So at first it was, hey, I'm just the least of the apostles, you know, the big guys, the pastors, you know. And now he's like, hey, every, all of you guys, I'm kind of the least of all, of all of you guys. You know, all of the saints in the church, I'm the least of y'all. And now, but now, at the end of his life, the very end, he's about to die. This is what he writes. I'm the worst of sinners. You know, for us, it would be the other way, right? We'd start out with, I'm the worst of sinners. Go to, okay, I'm the least of the saints too. I'm just the least of the apostles. But for Paul, as he grew in his relationship with the Lord, he realized one thing, how much he desperately needed God and how bad he actually was. And he progressively got to the least of apostles, the least of saints, and to the worst of sinners. And I pray that as we grow in our relationship with God, as we grow in how much we know about God, that it wouldn't grow our pride, but it would deflate our pride and grow our love. Amen? So now here's the question that we've got to ask, and we'll wrap all this up. How do I win the battle within? How do I win the battle within? Well, James chapter 4, going back to verse 6, we read a part of it, but I want to read the full part of it now. And it says this, but God gives more grace. Come on, I'm glad for grace, but I'm really glad for more grace. Hey, God, how many you know where sin abounds, grace abounds much more? Where we're blowing it, God gives more grace, more grace, more grace. Therefore, he says, God, resist the proud. There we see it. But he also gives grace to the humble. 
gives grace to the humble. See, if, if pride is the mother of all sins, if all of our sins, worry, fear, what's come out of our mouth, idolatry, if all of that was built on pride as the mother of it all, it gave, gave birth to all those other ones, listen to me. The mother of all joy is humility. So if pride is the mother of all sins, then joy is the mother of, uh, humility is the mother of all joy. All joy in life comes out of a humble view of yourself. Humility, walking humbly. So he's going to walk us through how we do that. So verse 7, he says, submit yourselves. Write that down. Submit yourselves. That's the first thing that, that James is going to encourage us to do. Submit yourselves then to God. So notice, notice who you're submitting yourself to, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Now watch this. I love this. Come near to God. And guess what God does? He comes comes near to you. So I'm taking steps to God. I'm submitting myself to God. So submission in our culture, of course, has a bad connotation. A lot of people don't like that word. Um, but honestly, they don't like it because what they've submitted to was bad. But come on, how many know when you submit to a loving father who made you, that knows you, that knows what you need, there's greatness. Submission really is God, your way more than my way. Your will, not my will. Submission is God, no longer am I doing it the way that I want to do it. God, I want to do it the way that you want to do it. So I submit my life. I submit my marriage. I submit my family. I submit it all to you. So I want to give you a couple of these things um, on what the world says and then what God says. So here's what the world says. The world says to free yourself, and God says to submit yourself. So the world says, be free. Be your own. Do your own thing. Don't have anybody tell you what to do. And God says, no, listen, if you want true freedom, submit yourself to me and you'll experience freedom. If you want to go and experience freedom, you'll actually find more bondage. How many of you, know any, how many of you had any kids in here where they got older and when they got out of the house, they're like, freedom! And it all turned up really bad for them. Because they thought all your rules was making things bad in life. But your rules was actually protecting them. When they were submitted under your house, it was okay. When they went on their own, it got worse. And so the same happens in our own lives. We go, God, I don't want you to rule me. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. And we don't realize we get ourselves more bound. But when we submit to God, we find more freedom. Here's number two. Die to self. Die to self. So he goes on in James and he says this. He says, wash your hands. Sounds like my wife. So, <laughs> wash your hands, you sinners. That sounds like my wife too. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. That's only when I step on the floors after she cleans them. So, wash your hands, you sinners. And watch this. Now, watch what he says. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. So, here's what we know. Our hands represent our, what we do, our actions, and our hearts represent our, um, our affections, our attention, what, what, we, what we love. And so our hearts are um, everything, attitude, affections, um, who we are, and the hands represent what we do. And so this is what God is saying. Listen, you need to die to yourself in what you do, and you need to die to yourself in your attitude. Now, no elbows right now, okay, but this is what God has called us to do. Wash your hands. Your hands are not well, and your heart is, is not pure. You need God to change, change your heart and change your life. So what does the world say when it comes to this? The world says, live for yourself, 
God says, die to yourself. Y'all see the difference, though? It's very different. World saying, live for yourself. God's saying, die to yourself. How many know when you live for yourself, you end up dying, and when you die to yourself, you end up living? It is the, it's what I call the paradox principle. The paradox principle is you die to live. Well, let me show you how this plays out. I'll show you this principle. Look in 2 Corinthians 5.15. He, speaking of Jesus, died for everyone so that those who receive his new life, now watch this, will no longer live for who? Okay, so I no longer live for myself. I'm going to die to myself. But instead, okay, so I can't just die to myself. Instead, though, I need to live for Christ. Now watch this. Who died and was raised for them. So if we die a little, we live a lot. We die to live. Pastor Jamie did a phenomenal message on that a couple weeks ago about killing the things in our lives that need to be killed this is where this kind of comes from, this idea of we've got to die to these things so that we can live in Christ. And by the way, Christ set this example. Think about Christ. Christ came and he died a death so you could live. And that's what we do. The reason we have fights and quarrels and battles within us and around us is because no one's willing to die. Everybody wants their way, their thing. And so he says, you die so they can live. Husbands, we die to ourselves so our wives can live. Parents, we die to ourselves so our kids can live. Christians, we die to ourselves so other people can experience the life of Jesus. Y'all with me here? This is the paradox principle, what God's called us to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for him. And last one is we humble ourselves. So we, we submit ourselves, we die to self, and we humble ourselves. So he ends this in James chapter 4, verse 10, with humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, I just want you to see this real quick. He does not say, humble other people. He says, humble yourself. Remember, that's not your job. Your job's to humble yourself. So here's what the world says. You ready? So the world says, promote yourself, God says, humble yourself. The world says, promote yourself. God says, humble yourself. How many know if you will humble yourselves, God will promote you? And if you promote yourselves, God will humble you. That's right. <laughs> right? It's the paradox. Yet again, here we go. So if I live, if I live proud, God's going to humble me. If I live humble, God's going to lift me up. We see this in Scripture. And the way to honor is humility. So the more I am humble, the more I'm humble towards others, it brings honor to myself and to them. So if you want to receive honor, you give honor in being humble towards others. Philippians 2 says this about Jesus. Now remember, Jesus never did anything that he doesn't mean for you to do. So he, Jesus, humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place. Now, look at this. Watch. So he humbles himself, and what does God do? God promotes him. And now watch how much he promotes them. God elevates him, promotes him to the place of highest honor, and he gave him the name that is above all other names. And if you go and you continue to read it, it says, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. 
And so we have the model and the example of Jesus humbling himself, dying on a cross, paying for sins that he shouldn't have paid so that you and I could live. How many know he humbled himself and we got the promotion? Even better, huh? He takes our sin and we take on his righteousness. How many know that's a good promotion for us? What we deserve is hell. What we deserve is separation from God. What we deserve is, is wrath. And yet God takes all that on himself. He humbles himself, takes all that on. And now we get promotion. We get righteousness. We get the blessings of God. And how many know when you get that, you, you better make sure that you appreciate it because it's a gift. And the only thing that you're called to do that God calls us to do with a gift is to say thank you. And the way that we say thank you is going back to submitting ourselves back to God and going, God, thank you for this life I have. Thank you for this marriage that I have. Thank you for this job that I have. Thank you for these kids that I have. God, I need your grace more. God, I need your help more. And then I die to self. I humble myself. I submit myself. I die to myself. I humble myself. Y'all know it just keeps going. Keeps going and going. You don't die once. You don't humble once. And you don't submit once. You do it every day. 